walked on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, everybody, and it's a damn good podcast. At least that's the official name of it. Uh, but this is Seth Emerson. Over there is Jeff Schultz, and we're popping in here to talk to you after a little time off. Little lull between signing day and spring practice. So we thought we would hit here on basically the revamping, the overhaul, makeover, whatever you want to call it, uh, that Kirby Smart has instituted this offseason. Jeff, are you over there? How are you doing? Are you alive? I'm doing great. I, I thought we were just getting together to talk about your Girl Scout cookie rankings and your your basketball st- skills in the post. Yeah. Um, that, that's far more interesting we to me can, still than yeah, we can Scott get to We can get to all of those. That yeah, that was ugly. Um, not the Girl Scout rankings. Although you you did reply to me on Twitter, like indicating that you thought my rankings were. I, I couldn't tell whether you didn't like my ranking of those Girl Scout cookies themselves, or you didn't like Girl Scout cookies at all. I mean, are you some sort of communist? Do you not like what? Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> well, I, I after coming out against the chop, I think I was called pretty much everything except communist. But sure, I'll go with communist too. That that's fine. Um, no, I, I think you have to have – well, okay, I don't eat Girl Scout cookies like I used to. I mean, I don't eat cookies that much, period, like I There's used to. There's your problem, yeah. My wife will hit me with a two-by-four if I have them in the house. So um, so there's that. Uh, I would have to basically hide them in the closet, which I'm not opposed to doing. Um, but you ha- how do you not have tag-alongs in the, in the Final Four? I'm just not a – Even a, in your, in your I'm five. not a huge tag-along guy. Um, I, I don't know. that That was the biggest – uh, problem that people had with my list when when they replied. Um, I just I, I it doesn't seem like there's a lot of crossover between tagalongs and dosi dos, which both have a peanut butter element. And yes. for some reason, you like one or the other. But everybody likes yeah. Samoas, and I used to like Thin Mints a lot, but it's dropped a little bit. Well, see now, so here's here's why I would. I think Thin Mints, and this is far more important, obviously, than whether Scott Cochran could coach special teams. I think Scott Cochran's to me, probably Thin talking Mints about this right now himself. So, yeah. <laughs> if we ever get, do get to talk to Scott Cochran, by the way, I do want we his Girl Scout cookie rankings. <laughs> to me, Thin Mints gets the edge because when you when you put them in the freezer and pull them out, it's like a whole new experience. And I don't know that you can do that with Samoas or – any other uh, so that's why to me thin mince gets the edge as number one okay well then i'm just i'm just going to go with that and what you do with that is is up to you i like samoas in the refrigerator so get them a little cold but okay well not, that's fine we're, we're, we're talking the same not things. like the full ice cream treatment um i see what you mean about thin mints but um yeah and and dosi dose you know, know what's weird about dosi dos is I will have one like right before I run, and it gives me a great like shot of adrenaline um, because yeah. it's got a I good. I think they call that sugar. Yeah, well, a little bit of sugar, but like the peanut butter element really helps, but not a lot of chocolate, which is what you get in the tag along too. Hence, that's why I prefer the dosi dos. And I got to say, the s'mores one has been strong this year. That has been a strong addition. The Girl Scout cookies. Okay. So um, that's our discussion so I'm, I'm, of I, the Scott Cochran hire. Gen- um, we will now move on to – no. Um, so this offseason, let's go back to the SEC championship. 
And when whenever Kirby Smart was asked what he's going to do about the offense, and it was in the aftermath of the SEC championship and then early signing day, which was a couple weeks later. At that point, James Coley was still the offensive coordinator. There, And the the change that had been made was Sam Pittman had left for Arkansas and um, Matt Luke had replaced him. So, you know, nothing earth-shattering. I mean, big, but not like changing the game, so to speak. And there were a lot of fans that were kind of up in arms saying, you know, Kirby Smart's not going to do this. You know, he's, he's too stubborn and blah, blah, blah. And I, I kept saying to them, it's like, look, I don't know what's in the works. I just refuse to believe that Kirby Smart, as dynamic a person as he is, is not dynamic when it comes – is not forward thinking when it comes to this, when it comes to the offense and in general. And, and I right. think, Jeff, he has shown twice now in this offseason how – much he is willing to change things, and and I'm not I'm taking aside the Jamie Newman thing going to a dual threat quarterback because I think that forgets that he has recruited dual threat quarterbacks already: Justin Fields, John Reese Plumley, who didn't get here, but um, they just haven't been the starter. Uh, but he went out and got Todd Munkin, even though James Coley was already here, and that necessitated or ultimately James Coley leaving, and. He went way outside the box and hired a strength and conditioning coordinator with really not much background at all on the field coaching and Scott Cochran for an on-field job as special teams coordinator. Two big moves, and as you wrote, Jeff, and I will let you, because you're on this show too, uh, kind of expand on it and talk about it a little bit. <laughs> Thank you the, for that. These, the, this I think we both agree this kind of showed that Kirby Smart, he may not get up there and give a speech at a press conference and and announce what he's going to do because he doesn't want to tell people what he's going to do. But he is he this proves what I thought, which was he was thinking about it. He he, this was on his right. He he was going to make some dynamic moves. He just didn't want to announce it. Yeah, I yes to 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 all that. I mean, I I. I when when the season ended and we'll just say the season ended after the SEC title game, not the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, when when that game was over, there was no doubt in my mind. In fact, there was really no doubt in my mind even before the SEC title game that there was going to be a change in the offense. Now, I think you and I both kind of wondered what that would look like. Was it going to be a change in philosophy? Was it going to be giving James Coley more freedom and play calling, or was it going to basically be the equivalent of, of almost blowing the thing out and just bringing in a new coordinator? Um, the, the second there was pursuit and signing of Todd Monk, and I never thought James Coley was going to be back. Right. I know they people, nobody said anything, but I mean, if you're James Coley and you're, you know, relatively young and, and you've, you know, you've had a pretty decent career until getting to Athens, you, you can get another job somewhere. Um, and frankly, even if, if you're getting demoted to Georgia, which effectively he was being demoted, and, and you make a lateral move from that demotion to another program, you still do that because you mm-hmm. really don't want to be around a program that just demoted you. You're taking a lesser um, job, really, but at least you're taking a lesser job somewhere where you know you don't have to look at the guy who just took your job. That and you're you're taking a lesser job at a at a place with a chance for growth. I don't I don't think that there was. I mean, let, let's say James Coley had stayed and Todd Monken does great for two years and then goes and gets a head coaching job. I don't think 
James Coley's getting promoted back to offensive coordinator. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I, I think there's now baggage there that were that would preclude that from happening. And so, um, James Coley should have le- left, and he did leave, and I he made the right move. And that's not an anti-James Coley comment. That's just to me logical. Right. Um, but I do think Todd Monken was was a great hire, and and you know, we've talked about that before. Um, and and Gary Danielson, who I spoke to for a column. Um, also said some a couple things about uh, Matt Luke, which I hadn't really thought about. That he really liked, uh, really likes Luke from the standpoint he thinks George will have a more diversified running game um, because of you know he's going to mix up blocking schemes a little more. And in fact, Danielson, who you know as we know does a lot of SEC games and does a lot of Georgia games, um, he he likes. He likes James Coley a lot, but his big issue with Coley wasn't what a lot of other people's issue with Coley was. It wasn't about the passing game. It was about the run game. He thought Coley really struggled in terms of how to coach the run game, how to how to game plan to know what guys to go to and what situations. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting observation because I, I think you and I spoke throughout the season about yeah the pass game's an issue but the run game's kind of an right. issue too they really they they weren't as dominant no, as they should no have been. They, what what was the biggest frustration among Georgia fans on a just a why are you calling that play basis wasn't the lack of wasn't just the lack of throwing the ball to the outside and running to the outside it was why are you running the ball up the middle all the time when other teams are stacking the box and they're calling it Rennie um, the other co-host on this podcast last season um, made the point that as a defensive player, he could he could tell what the play was going to be a lot of times. And he was talking mainly about a run play. And, you know, th- this isn't like Tech Mobile where there are only four running plays and it was a matter of, you know, you're calling one of those four. There are ways to be dynamic in the running game. And I think they were trying to. They would do a lot of motion and misdirection and stuff. But then they would ultimately call the same play, and it just it wouldn't work. And with the running backs they had and with the offensive line they had, they should have been able to run the ball better on a more consistent basis. And that's something that while we talked about, I don't think maybe we've or anybody has talked about enough that that was one of the big problems. And, yeah, Matt Luke, this isn't to, to crap on Sam Pittman, but – Right. Matt Luke brings a different perspective in, and, and I wrote this. Matt Luke's not part of the Nick Saban coaching tree. He he's a guy that has worked for Hugh Freeze, who had a different kind of offense, and he employed Rich Rodriguez last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a different kind of offense. So he brings in new ideas, and so there were always already going to be fresh ideas. And then Todd Munkin is coming in, in addition to that, and he's also not part of the Nick Saban coaching tree. So. There's a lot of fresh ideas that are going to be bouncing around offensively, and it's going to be pretty interesting to see how it all fleshes out. Yeah, and then and, and now we 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 get to the Scott Cochran element of this, and I look. I don't think what Georgia does in the 2020 season is going to hinge on how good of a special teams coach Scott Cochran is. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't. I, I guess I'm a little surprised because I, I actually even asked Gary Danielson this, and he he couldn't recall uh, a strength coach who had made the transition to position coach. Um, and I'm sure there have been. Uh, yeah, I, I did wrong. some I, research I, I, into I, this, and, and the, the, the precedent 
I couldn't find it. You know, there every every precedent I found, and and this was the and sorry to interrupt, but not sorry. That's okay. Um, the <laughs> you know working for the athletic, I you know we have a, a Slack channel and we have a army of uh, beat writers and other writers across the country, and we and and I played basketball very badly with some of them last week, and we can talk about that later. But I I, I reached out as oh, as we, we, we do we in will, these kind of cases me, and say, will. can anybody? Can anybody name a situation like that? Can anybody come up with strength coaches who have made the move? And the examples that were given, and I put them in my story last week, were like, for instance, Boise State has done it twice, but those were guys who were like players. They, they were right. It was a running back who then goes to a strength staff, works there for a few years, and then goes to coaching. Scott Cochran doesn't have that background. Scott Cochran went to school, I think, at LSU to get a strength and conditioning degree. I don't think he played in college. Probably played in high school, but I don't think he played in college, and he hasn't been a coach. So this is new. It it's new, but you know I, I'm going to have a hard time saying this without offending every single person who has ever coached football. Uh, and and that's not really my intent. My son-in-law coaches football, <laughs> okay, and so I don't I I. I I don't mean this to sound as harsh as I know it's going to come out, but Scott Cochran has been around football his entire professional life. Okay. He's, I know he doesn't, he hasn't mm-hmm. coached football, but he's been around football. And I know he didn't play football, but he's, he's around players. Um, he has, I'm sure, watched film and will watch film. Uh, he's at practices, he's at games, he knows the game. I am having a difficult time believing that he can't coach special teams. Now, we still don't really know to what degree he's going to coach special teams, right? I mean, we don't – his title is whatever, special teams coordinator or something like that. We still don't know, and I'm sure there will be other coaches within that with him, you know, coaching return games, kick games, whatever they are. Um, but I, I am having a difficult time. But I mean, this isn't brain surgery. And this is where I, I'm going to get into. <laughs> this, this is where it's like, wait a minute. It's not like anybody can do this. Okay. We're, we're talking about coaching special teams. All right. And we're yeah. talking about motivating players. And we're talking about getting guys on the same page, which he can do. I, right. Well, I, I understand this is a rare transition, but I don't. See, I don't understand people who think he can't make this. Well, transition. and from what I was told, um, Aaron Suttles at the uh, our Alabama writer, who by the way was the one who called me and told me about this, like about an hour before it broke, um, he called and told me, "Hey, I'm hearing this is going to happen," and I'm like, "Ooh, okay." Um, and, and so that's, I, that's I called Scooby Doo, like yeah. Um, and <laughs> so I, I'll freely admit this was not on my radar screen, um, and so I called two of my best or messaged and then called um, two of my best sources who are plugged in guys to the extent that, you know, one of them told me about the Munkin thing and I wish I'd run with it that morning when it was breaking um, just to give you some behind the scenes on how reporting works sometimes. But I'm, I'm overcautious to a fault. Both of these people told me, what are you smoking? <laughs> you know, like there's what, but then pretty soon it became apparent it was happening. So this was a case of it was breaking out of Alabama rather than, you know, and, right. and people in Georgia were in the jar- dark, which, you know, goes to show you how Kirby Smart has operated versus yes, Nick Saban. Exactly. But, 
Yes. Aaron Suttles, to get back to it, told me that Lane Kiffin was trying to hire Scott Cochran as the tight ends coach, which, you know, again, that's not offensive coordinator, um, but it's still right. an on-field job. As I wrote in a longer story, if you want to read my Scott Cochran story, which the uh, and the headline for it was on Scott Cochran's move to Georgia and why the person may supersede the precedent, the analytics I'm looking at right now said you probably read it. It was very well read. Um, please read my exit interview with Solomon Kindley. Not many people, not as many people read that. Um, but anyway. Uh, the, Excuse me. Is this going to be an entire read my stuff? Yes. Seth Emerson also, gonna... also uh, as I'm looking at my. Follow me on Twitter. As I'm looking and... at my analytics, my least read story uh, is the Georgia beating number 13 Auburn in basketball. So anyway. Um, but anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah, you were talking about in please that, go please follow Jeff Schultz on Twitter yeah. and read all of his. Stuff. Yeah, I'm explaining why we're not going to talk much basketball in this segment. Um, but <laughs> in, in that Scott Cochran story, I explained what some people had talked to me about, um, both of whom, including a couple people I talked to on the record, former Alabama players, Mike Johnson, offensive lineman there in the early part of the Nick Saban era, and Murray Smith, who obviously came over to Georgia. So we had both, and and then I talked to some people off the record too. Um, and the, the gist of it that I got from people was, yeah, this hasn't been done, but kind of what Jeff is saying, which is you, you can easily see why it can do it. For one thing, um, as Mike Johnson told me, what not a lot of people knew was that Scott Cochran, as a strength and conditioning coordinator, you're allowed to be on the field. Co- not, you know, you're, you're allowed to be there. You know, the, the quality yes. control coaches are not allowed by NCAA rules, to be on the practice field working with the team. They're just there to observe. Now, maybe they do something when the media leaves, but they're only supposed to observe. The strength and conditioning coordinators can be out there on the field and can do stuff. And so Scott Cochran was kind of running the special teams, scout teamers for Alabama, and probably did it for most of, if not all, of Nick Saban's tenure. So he's been on the field. He's seen it. He's been around the team. And the other thing that people may not quite get and this goes for the nfl and college is that it's not like you do offense over here defense over here and special teams over here there's only a few positions that are purely special teams kicker punter long snapper okay and even the holder is coming usually from you know it could be the quarterback Sometimes it's the punter, which it was for Rodrigo Blankenship. But what I'm saying is when they do special teams practice, they pretty much stop everything and bring everybody from the offense and the defense over. Not everybody, literally. But maybe the quarterbacks go and if they're not the holder and they do some throwing or whatever. But that means what I'm saying is other coaches are there helping. And, and I've seen this at special teams segments of practice. The offensive line coach is working with the offensive lineman. The defensive line coach is working with defensive linemen. Like in, for instance, field goal the field goal unit when they're going up against each other. you got the O-line coach there, D-line coach, the linebacker's coach is working there, the running back's coach. Almost everybody is involved. So it's not like Scott Ockren is going to be over on an island working on special teams by himself. That's not the case by any means. Right, and I think the other element of this we haven't really touched on is what is a strength and conditioning coach? Um, I had a good friend of mine who's, who's a big Georgia fan He's in a completely different field, so he's not completely immersed in college football, but he's a big Georgia fan. So he didn't he, he said, Hey, on another subject, can we what is this whole big thing about Scott Cochran? And and for those who don't really know, first of all, 
Scott Cochran himself has been with Nick Saban going back to LSU yes. days at the least. I don't know if he was not continuously, so, but yeah, he was with them. That's where Kirby Smart right. and Scott Cochran first met was at LSU. Correct. Right. And so there's that connection. Obviously, if you're with Nick Saban for that long, um, off and on, he has a high level, high degree of respect for you. Then there's the, the element of the fact that when coaches can't in college, when coaches can't be with players because of NCAA rules, haha, in quotes, right? Uh, weight coaches can be. They're they're with them. It's pretty much year round, right? Is yeah, it's why with them? it's why people say that like the strength coach is the most under you know under recognized, most important member of the staff because they're with them. Like and and especially Correct. when a new coach comes in, and this is why Scott Sinclair was so vital for. Georgia was he was the first one working from Kirby Smart staff working with the players, you know, because there's this right. two or and three so, month gap before spring practice starts. Right, exactly. So it's not like Scott, even though Scott Cochran is going to be doing something different. Again, getting back to a lot of special teams is about motivation and, and knowing what makes guys tick and and getting guys on the same page and working together, whether it's in coverage or punt protection or whatever it is, is Scott Cochran knows these guys because he's with them all the time in, in, in weight rooms and conditioning drills and stuff. And here's what I don't know, Seth, and I don't know if we're ever really going to know, how much of this smart this, this hire by Kirby Smart was to get Scott Cochran to Georgia because he's gonna he thinks he's going to just be a huge boost to this Georgia program, or how much of it was to get him away from Nick Saban and, and hurt the Alabama program because you're you're facing Alabama, by the way, in week three, I believe it is, of the 2020 season. And uh, you conceivably may be facing Alabama again at the end of the year in the SEC title game. I don't know how much of it was this could re- this hire really helps us or this hire really hurts Alabama, or it's an equal amount of both. And I don't know if Kirby will ever answer that question honestly. No, I mean, you never he will never come out and say, at a public forum that, you know, <laughs> I hired this guy mainly to hurt the team we're about to play. No coach will ever say that. And and I also don't think he would have Scott Cochran or anybody on his staff who he didn't think could help him in some way. Um, it's not just about subtracting from a rival. But, it, I mean, it's clearly part of it. I mean, he, he knows how important Scott Cochran is to Alabama. And... That, yeah, they play him this year. I'm I'm not saying that he wouldn't have done it if they weren't playing Alabama on the schedule, at least to play Alabama this year. But even if it was just in the back of Kirby's sure. mind, yeah, it's got to be part yeah. of it. Well, how, let me ask you this. How long do you think this was a possibility? Because we know when Kirby first came to back to Georgia, he brought, he tried to bring Scott Cochran with him. And, and at that time, right. I don't think he was – going to make him a position coach he was going to be the strength coach and and they talked no, about it no the, the right. assumption was he was right and then yeah I, the, the the assumption actually when kirby was hired was he's bringing right. scott cochran I'm with sure alabama um, gave and alabama it, it probably took, gave him more money and scott cochran decided to stay and so the question is when do you think this became a legitimate possibility and yeah it's been suggested by some maybe He's known this for a while, but he just sprung it on everybody this past week or whenever the story broke. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, well, clearly people around Georgia's program were taken aback. We're surprised by this. Um, I, right. I, I think that he does 
Kirby does a masterful job of keeping things, um, you know, bottled up. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there may be cases where other coaches don't know what's going on. Because um, Kirby's philosophy may be that, you know, having been an assistant himself, why do you need to know who's going to be the special team coordinator? You know, you're not coaching that unit or whatever. I, yeah, anyway, um, or spring practice isn't starting for another couple weeks. And so we'll sort it all out. But, yeah, I mean, when this became a fact, look, he's had this opening for a while, but it, it's all happened kind of gradually. This wasn't like when Sam Pittman left and 48 hours left, they hire Matt Luke for the same job and the same salary uh, that Sam Pittman was earning. Um, the the Todd Munkin hire was able to be made because uh, Scott Fountain left as special teams coordinator to go join Sam Pittman. So if this one job isn't open, how does Kirby handle that? Does he go does he go get Todd Munkin anyway and tell at that point tell James Coley to leave? Um, I don't know how he handles that, but he, he had an opening on his staff. He just didn't fill it with a special teams coordinator. At right. that point, there was talk that Coley could be the special teams coordinator or that Coley would go to tight ends and Todd Hartley would go to special teams coordinator. So then Scott Cochran gets on the radar when James Coley leaves, I would bet. Although before that, probably. I mean, look, you know, I don't know if there's a back channel between like Kirby and Cochran themselves since they're so close. I don't know if it works like that. I don't know if, honestly, I don't know if there's rules against it, tampering or, or whatever. Um, but. Agent-wise, I, I believe Scott Cochran is represented by Jimmy Sexton, as is like so many people, but in, Kirby, Kirby as well, yes. and um, Nick Saban actually. <laughs> yeah, but not not me yeah. and not you, as far as I know. Um, so we'll just be you know, upfront about that. So maybe it gets done that way. Maybe it gets handled that way. But um, I, yeah, Scott Cochran, from what Aaron Suttles has told me, has been looking to make this move for a while. Um, a move beyond strength and conditioning where you can see that. I mean, he's 40 years old. I think he turns 41 later this month. So if you're Scott Cochran, you've kind of reached the pinnacle of your profession. You're recognized. You're you're in freaking commercials as a strength and conditioning coordinator. Do you want to just live on that for 25 years and then retire or even less years? Uh, Some people could do that, but he, he wanted more. And now is the time to do that because, yeah, I mean, you, you want to, he, he was ready to spread his wings, and and so well, good yeah, for him. Good for him, exactly. And look, he has to. He almost, to some degree, would have to decide: does he want to stay at Alabama forever, or because Nick Saban's not going to be there that much longer, right? I mean, he's at some point here, he's going to retire. And if you're Scott Cochran, it's like, okay, am I going to stay here as strength coach long term? Am I going to go somewhere else as strength coach long term? Mm-hmm. Or if Nick is going to retire at some point here? is this a good chance for me to move on to something else? And I, I, I applaud it. I think to make that kind of career move it, you know, like you said, he's 40 years old is, is great. And, and again, but I don't, I would be surprised if he's a miserable failure. I just don't see this as a difficult thing for him, given what he's going to be doing and, and given his background. Um, it's, it, it, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to be now, as awkward as say, you know, you posting up in a basketball game and, and you know, airballing a five footer by two feet, you know that hypothetically. Okay. You okay. Know, 
Okay. Now let's. I, this I see. This is your segue to humiliation for me. But first off, that, I didn't. Excuse have to me. Sign can I just say? Can I just say something? Movies. That would be so, a great title for a memoir. Segue to humiliation. <laughs> <laughs> segue to humiliation. <laughs> yes. That's, okay, let's remember that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so so we're in Indianapolis last week for meetings. Um, the college football team and the NFL team, they got us all together at the Combine. I didn't actually cover any of the Combine. We had an army of you know, all the NFL people were there. Um, but the college football team, we rented a court. Josh Kendall, at, uh, who covers South Carolina for us, um, facilitated it. And so we 14 of us played and a few people uh, who were lazy and shall remain nameless, Jason Kersey, Colton Pouncey, stayed on the sideline and just recorded it. Nicole Arbach also uh, in that category arrived late and just watched and made fun of us. Um, but some of us put ourselves out there and played a basketball game. Some of us have not played much competitive basketball lately because we have six-year-old children and we've been like playing with them on smaller Hold baskets. On, let, me, let me grab a smaller, violin. I'll play in the background. You know, basketball. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I've been watching my son play basketball, okay, more than I've been actually playing myself, okay. Now, 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 um, and now not to give away any any in, you know at, trade background secrets here, but isn't your son in the same league as as Kirby Smart's uh, son? Yeah, I, I believe that was the kid who stole. Me. And look, here's the other. Thing. <laughs> oh wait, There's we were going down a good track here. Six and seven years old. <laughs> yeah, so. My son is six, and the son of a certain person is seven, which makes a big difference in maturity, apparently, and basketball ability. And so when a seven-year-old, let's say, makes a steal uh-huh. in a game against a poor little uh-huh. six-year-old, I think the father of that six-year-old is excused if he immediately goes to his phone and fires off some retaliatory <laughs> open records requests. But that's a whole other thing. You know what okay? I heard? I heard a certain, um, a certain person's okay. seven-year-old son actually hired this – the son of a strength coach from Alabama, who's who's only ten, but he's built and he's he, that's that's what I heard. okay. All right, look, I'm I'm uncomfortable getting into the whole thing here, but let let me just say yes. for the record that Kirby, very good father. He was at he was at like almost every game mm-hmm. I saw of his sons. So um, so I mean there were some times I didn't notice him because I'm over there with my son, but. He and, he and Mary Beth were, were there, and they're very dutiful parents. Um, and obviously, they have a lot going on in their lives. So good for them, seriously. Um, but on, in our game, so, yeah, I played terribly was my point. And I was short on my shots. I was, like, airballing shots. I was trying my little patented turnaround. I, I, I would post up because I'm, I was one of the more taller guys mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. game. And so people would give me the ball mm-hmm. down low, and then I would airball it. But for some reason, they kept giving me the ball, which I, I wish they'd stopped because maybe it, it was, just maybe maybe again continued to lead. To maybe it wasn't giving you the ball to make a shot. Maybe it was giving you the ball because they needed the comic relief. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, that might have been actually. But the best comic relief. This didn't make our one shining moment video because they weren't rolling during this one moment. Was. Um, Grace Rayner, who covers Clemson for us, and by the way, I think scored more than me. Um, she's good. Uh, she may have played in high school, maybe even I don't, I don't know where she went. No, she went to North Carolina, so she didn't play there. But um, but she hmm. went up for a shot, and Eric Single, one of our editors, who's about six foot five, just you know, you know, when I was covering Grace, 
I, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't like stop yeah. guarding her, but you know, I'd exactly. let her get a shot off, you know, just kind of put my hands up, but then, you know, get your shot off. <laughs> Eric, this one time did not do that. And the ball, I believe ended up somewhere in Illinois. Um, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful, happy moment, but it was a good time. Uh, Tori McElhaney, who we both know, yes. uh, and Grace had a great time covering each other most of the time. And our team went 0-4, but Tori had a three-pointer that I thought was going to go down and win the game for us, the fourth one. We were losing 19-18, playing to 21. I thought it was going down, but it just rolled out. Hmm. Right. It was a good time. And and um, I, I wish – I did make some shots. I did. I even made a left-handed layup at one point. I don't right think handed. that one made video. That was not called yeah. video either. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm – But, yeah, so it was a good time, and, and we uh, – just you know, we got to meet. I, I met Adam Hansman, mm-hmm. our co-founder. Met him for the first time, and met some people from HQ, and it was a good time. Uh, hung out with Jason Butt, and just really excited about just to kind of maybe bring this into a more wide-ranging thing, I guess. But uh, continue to be excited about everything that's going on at the Athletic, and it, it's cool to work somewhere that we're happy and we can exchange ideas like that and bring us all together. And, and I, I walked out of there with a, a bunch of story ideas that I'm, I'm working on right now, except not during this half hour when I'm doing this podcast. With yeah. You. Generally wasting my time. <laughs> no, I, I, and it was really cool because, you know, you were in, in Indy for this college football, you know, what would you call it? Not seminar, but thing. You were all, all college football writers were together, and then all the NFL writers from the from the athletic were there also. So you all got together, which was it is neat to see. And a lot of these writers, um, for those who don't know, I mean, we've known for years before we ever came to the athletic. We've known them in the industry. So you know, when you see, I don't know how many yeah. all together there you guys had over there, but it was a ton. And to see you're all in the same room, at least at some point. Um, uh, that you're all sort of on the same team. That was, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, and yeah, it is cool. I mean, we're, we're in press boxes all the time and, you know, I'm at events for, for different, in different sports and it's like, Oh, Hey, we work for the same place. <laughs> it's a lot different from being, uh, at a newsroom in a city, uh, at a specific newspaper when you've seen each other at staff meetings or, uh, you know, just walking around the newsroom or whatever. Because we're all spread out all, all over the country, um, and it's it's kind of cool seeing people from around the country in the same. Yeah, I got to meet um, someone. Asked me on one of my Todd Munkin stories, or related to my Todd Munkin stories, like who do you talk to for for this kind of thing, and and beyond the people that are quoted in the story, and and I, you know, kind of said in generalities, you know, you talk to people in the industry, and some of them, some of them are fellow writers who. You know, we, we lean on for advice, and Greg Allman, who covers the Buccaneers for the Athletic, was one of them, and I got to mm-hmm. meet him for the first yeah. time. Um, and we talked a little bit more about Todd Munkin while I was there, and um, and Joe Person, bo- who both of us know, uh, covers the Panthers for us. Caught up with him a little bit, and yeah, it was just a it was just a good time, and it was a lot of money to get us there, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad they do it. And it was cold, by the way. It was snowing like every day in Indianapolis. But that's why we don't live there. All right. Anything else, Jeff? Um, 
<clears throat> no, no, I'm, I'm good. I uh, just, um, uh, I'm going to try to get through this uh, Girl Scout cookie period without buying any Girl Scout cookies. Um, I think it's over. Is it over? I think that's why I went yesterday. Oh, that's and, good. Because I, I, they said it was the last day at the particular place cause, I went. Because, you know, I hate to uh, do this, but you know how they, they always park in front of Kroger or Publix or any market. And, and it's like, right. it's always tricky to walk into a certain door that's not near them and then try to manipulate and walk out that same door to avoid them all the time because I just have a hard time saying no to these little six, eight, ten-year-old girls. It's just well, Then why would you? <laughs> why would you avoid them? Why would you say no? Just buy cookies. Well, there's that. That's true. I guess never yeah. looked at it that way. That's, my, that's what I do. I know what you mean about trying to avoid like people who are trying to get you to sign a petition to you know, end world hunger or whatever. But you would not um, sign a petition to end world hunger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, look, if, if it were literally a petition to end world hunger, I would sign it. I'm not <laughs> sure it would do much good, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. Yes. Maybe the opening scene of airplane where, you know, the church of whatever they called it. Um, yeah, those are the ones you kind of want to avoid, but the girl scout cook, you know, just buy them. Easy solution, Jeff. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I think we've So what do we got coming up in uh, I'm going to go have some coming up in uh, Georgia Athletics. Well, I guess there'll be a very quick uh, basketball tournament, SEC tournament. They've they've gotten they better. better. They've, they've what did they won 3 out of their last 4. The one they lost was on the yeah, road in overtime. Yeah. I mean, it's they could and they've got Florida and LSU this week. I mean, I'd give them a 50-50 shot to beat Florida, the way they're playing and the way Florida's playing. At LSU will be tough, but they're they're putting it together, but too late to really do any good unless they you know, go on a long run and win the SEC tournament. But um, right. I don't know. Right. Maybe it gets them in. Maybe they finish strong again in the NIT. Probably not, but maybe. Well, I probably will be going to the SEC tournament to see however long a run they, they can put together. Um but uh, okay. we'll not talk about that on the next show. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we will not talk about that. Okay. okay. All right, everybody. Thank you for turning in, tuning in. You can turn in. My show will sometimes put people to sleep. Uh, but thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face.